morning, everyone. Thank you for having me here as a guest speaker this morning. Been blessed to be able to be a guest speaker at a number of churches, and it's always a huge privilege to me that a, a pastor and a leadership team would trust me with their pulpit, and that people would come out to, uh, to hear a speaker that they've never met before. So thank you very much for this privilege. Now, Jacob told me I think you guys are used to about like two hours of speaking in the morning. Is that right? <laughs> I'll aim, I'll aim for that. No. Um, so something that's throwing me off a little bit, though, because in all the churches I've ever spoken at, I don't think I've seen people sitting in the front row at a church before. That's unusual, but I like it. <laughs> um, so I've, I've been told that I can talk about the, uh, the ministry that I'm doing in St. Thomas. We're starting a church there. And, and then speak, of course, from the Word. So I'm going to try and go through that. Uh, giving it the right amount of time for each and hopefully also not taking too long. I got so much stuff that I'd like to say. Um, so maybe if I miss anything important, Jake, that you think I'm going through, that you, you can let me know about, uh, about the church work that we're doing. Because in my excitement, I go over things too much. So a little bit about me. This is my daughter. And she is a year and a half, and she is the most adorable thing on the planet. This is her eating a cracker. That's the best way to eat a cracker, apparently. <laughs> Um, this is my wife and my seven-year-old son. So those, those three people are, are my world. Um, a little bit about me. Leave it on that for a second. A little bit about me. Uh, I'm a giant nerd, as you may have been able to tell from my Justice League t-shirt. <laughs> and I've got about a, a 1,200 comic book collection in my basement right now. And that's where my wife told me to not get anymore. <laughs> uh, I've been to uh, Bible college and, and seminary, and I've spent uh, about six, the last six years before I started this ministry in Sarnia as an associate pastor at a church there. Um, also, a little something about me is people usually guess my age off by quite a bit based on how I look, and maybe because I dress a little less age than I am. <laughs> um, people usually guess that I'm around you know, like 30, or t- some people guess 28. I'm 38, just so you know that. Um, so more importantly, let's talk about the ministry that we're doing. So we're in St. Thomas. If you guys don't know the city, a little bit about it. This is, uh, the, the city was known as the railway capital of Canada, and one of the things they've done there is they've built the first elevated park in Canada there which if you go on top of those train tracks in that picture, it's, it's a, park, a park there, which uh, is beautiful. The downtown is what they've been putting a lot of work into. They've got a lot of old buildings there, and they want to make it into a place that a lot of people want to come and visit. So it's beautiful down there. And anyone that's been to St. Thomas knows about Jumbo. And they've got the statue that you see when you come into town, at least from one direction. I never understood exactly how us killing Jumbo the Elephant made him the mascot of the city, but that's how it is anyway. <laughs> he got hit by a train in St. Thomas, and then suddenly he's our mascot. This is a map of the city, <laughs> and this is uh, part of what brought us to St. Thomas. So I was pastoring in Sarnia, and I had somebody from another denomination ask if I would consider church planning with them, and I politely declined because I'd never considered that before, but I started looking into it. 
And there's two things that really got me interested in church planting, starting new churches. One of them is I was reading up on it, and what I came across is repeatedly this, this idea, and it was stated by, by one kind of expert in starting new churches, that there is no more effective way to reach people for the gospel, with the gospel, for Christ, than starting a new church. And that got me thinking, okay, then that's, that's what I need to be doing. And the other part was seeing this map. I got it from uh, City Hall in St. Thomas. And you probably can't tell very well, but all the blue dots, what I noticed was, uh, if I can get that to go again, that whole top, it's about the top third of the city. Those blue dots are churches, and the top third of the city has basically none. So the city's been growing more and more north as people want to work in London but live in St. Thomas, but nobody's been putting any churches there. So that's where we want to put a new church. This is where we've been meeting for a number of months. Somebody asked me just earlier, have you started meeting yet? And I said yes and no. We have been meeting on Sunday mornings, and it's been great. Uh, We haven't done an officially launched set of Sunday services yet. We want to build our group more. This interesting little story as well. We've been meeting, uh, that was a tattoo, that's a tattoo shop we were meeting at. Doesn't really look like one. (laughs) It's an example of how the Lord can bring things together that you would never have planned yourself. We were meeting at a community center that wasn't available one week, and I asked three different churches if we could use their building, and all of them said no, and I was about to just cancel for that week. And my wife said, why don't you ask Jay? He just opened a tattoo shop. I'm like, okay, but he's going to say no. And then I asked him, and he said, okay. Then we went there that week, and everyone in my group was like, this is way better than where we usually meet. Let's meet here all the time. (laughs) I was like, I'll ask Jay, but he's going to say no. And he was like, okay. And they let us meet there for, I think we met there all together almost six months, and they refused to take any rent from us for it or anything. It was, it's just, it was a God thing. This is one of the other things that brought us to St. Thomas. I did a bunch of research before we moved there, and I called all the churches, and I asked all of them, about how many people do you have coming on a Sunday morning? And then I compared that to the population in the city. And there's about 11% of people in St. Thomas going to church. And even if you were like super, super optimistic and said, okay, everybody going to church is a Christian, which is I'm, it's obviously way too optimistic, but let's say that. Then you've still got what over, what was my math there? Over 34,000 people in the city that we have to reach. So basically 90% of the city that needs to be reached for the gospel. And this is what we're calling our, our church. We call it the Forge. We picked that because it ties in with the industrial history of the city. It's a railroad city, and after that it was an automotive, uh, all about automotive factories. And we also like the name because it ties in with how God is always working on us. So those are a couple of the reasons. And this was the mission statement that we came up with, a safe place to begin and to build a relationship with God. So we want it to be a safe place because we're going there to reach people, and we want to reach people that when you start a new church, um, statistically you can reach a lot of people who have never gone to church or who haven't gone to church since they were kids. And so we want it to be a safe place in the sense that we want people to be able to come and be honest and come and say, like, if you don't believe in God or you doubt God or whatever, you can tell us that, and that's okay. And we also want to put the emphasis on beginning that relationship with God before building that relationship with God because... I think as churches, we can too easily get inward-focused. 
on building programs to serve people that are already there. We want to focus on beginning those relationships first. I don't know if this clicker is actually working or if you guys are just clicking when I hit it, but either way, okay. <laughs> it's not, but it, made, it felt good when I did it. So, There's our, uh, our church website if you want to find out some more information. Uh, put that .org at the end. I underline that because apparently there's a couple other forged churches in uh, North America. If you want to go on another screen, thanks, guys. And this is if you want to get updates on us on Facebook or Instagram, or you can email me and I can add you to our newsletter. Any of those are, are good. Um, yeah, so I guess that's some of the information. Jake, is there anything significant there that I missed? Well, we're okay. All right, so let's get to the important stuff this morning. We want to look at the Word of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. We thank you for your word. We know that the Bible is your message to all of mankind, that it is a sacred text, and we thank you that we have that, that we can study it, read it together. Lord, we thank you for brothers and sisters in Christ, how we can meet together here in this congregation. And we know there are brothers and sisters in Christ all around the world meeting regularly as well. Lord, we pray that you would be with us this morning. You would give us insight into your text. You would give us a message that we can apply from you into our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So we passed New Year's about three weeks ago. And statistically speaking... If you made a New Year's resolution, you have already given up on it. <laughs> About 80% of New Year's resolutions are already done by now. <laughs> it's not a good, not a good percentage. <laughs> um, and I think a lot of the reason for that is because we're not always that serious about it. Like, I, I wanted to, in the New Year, eat healthier, but I had gotten a Toblerone bar for Christmas, and it would have been, you know, ungrateful of me not to eat it. And my wife had also given me a Burger King gift card, which is still actually in my pocket. And I need to use the gifts that I was given, right? So I wasn't all that serious about that particular resolution. And those resolutions don't go through because we don't go all in on them. And I think sometimes our Christianity, our faith is like that. Particularly here in North America. It's too common to have a type of Christianity, it's called nominal Christianity, where we can just take it too easy, we're not serious about it, we don't go all in. And I don't know if sometimes you feel like you're not as dedicated as you should be, or you feel like maybe your Christianity isn't as real to you as it once was, but I want to look at a passage this morning that I think can speak to us on that topic. So we're going to uh, look at the prophet Elisha this morning, and he's a prophet that I think sometimes gets a little missed as we're going through biblical text, um, but he's a prophet that can also still teach us a lot. And I want to do that by looking at three kind of separate sections. So the first thing I want to look at this morning is the prophet Elijah. So there's the prophet Elijah with the J, he's prophet, followed by the prophet Elisha with, with the SH. So we're going to look at Elijah first, and then we're going to jump later in the timeline to the kind of passing of the torch 
of being the prophet of God from Elijah to Elisha. We're going to look at that moment in time in the scriptures. And then we're going to jump back a little bit to the passage I really want to emphasize this morning. It's when we're first introduced to Elisha. But to really emphasize that last passage, first we're going to talk about Elijah and then the passing of the torch. So Elijah was uh, basically the prophet of prophets. In Jewish culture, if you talk about the prophet, it's Elijah. It's easy to see why, because God did amazing things through Elijah. We know that when Elijah prayed, God brought a drought on the land. We know that when Elijah prayed, when he was going uh, in the contest on the mountain against false prophets, when Elijah prayed, God sent fire down. We know another time when soldiers were coming after Elijah and God sent fire down miraculously again, consumed the soldiers. And then another set of soldiers were sent and they were also consumed with a fireball. And the third set of soldiers smart enough to say, wait, please don't do that. <laughs> so Elijah did a lot of amazing things. We also know that Elijah is one of the very few people in the Bible that God does the miracle of resurrection through, that he resurrected a young boy. So Elijah was a pretty amazing prophet. Now imagine if you had to follow after that. You ever had a tough act you had to follow? When I was in seminary uh, doing my master's degree, I was a teacher's assistant for one of the professors, and I thought he was, I still think he's one of the best speakers I've ever heard. And one week he was going to be away, and he asked me to cover his class for him. I was like, I would love to do that, because how often do you get the chance to teach a class, right? And after that, I realized, wait, I'm in a no-win scenario here. <laughs> Because no matter how good I am, I'm not going to be good at, as good at, as he is at teaching this class. So when I think about Elisha, I, I could just imagine how much of a tough act to follow that would be. So let's look uh, at the passing of the torch scene in 2 Kings chapter 2, if you would turn there with me. 2 Kings chapter 2. You know, I like I can still hear some pages turning. There's some churches I've spoken at where there's, it, everybody's on digital now, and I'm like, I can't tell when you're there. <laughs> so 2 Kings chapter 2. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, it's a bit of a spoiler there already, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, the Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied, so be quiet. I don't know what tone we're supposed to read that in, but he sounds irritated to me. <laughs> then Elijah said to him, Stay here, Elisha. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. The company of the prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, do you know the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied, so be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two, then, two of them walked on. Fifty men from the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance, facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. 
Something we usually think of with Moses, right? It happens a few times in the Bible, though. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You've asked a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will not. So, so Elisha is asking basically for a spiritual blessing from Elijah. And I think Elijah wisely realizes that's not something that's his choice to give. That's up to God. So he leaves it up to God. If you let Elisha see me be taken, then, then give him that blessing. As they were walking along, sorry, verse 11, as they're walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. I think he's indicating there that he sees Elijah's more important Israel's safety than the military. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his garment and tore it in two. Elisha then picked up Elijah's cloak that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. He took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. When he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. The company of the prophets from Jericho who were watching said, The spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. And they went to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. So this passage is incredible itself. This is, this is one of those scenes I'd love to see in a film. Uh, it'd be an incredible visual moment. But I don't want to focus on that passage. This is just the beginning of Elijah's ministry. Sorry, Elisha's ministry, the end of Elijah's. And Elisha went on to do many other amazing things. He did become the main prophet of God at that time. Like Elijah before him, along with doing a similar miracle of parting the water, showing that the Spirit of God was on him now, Elisha also resurrected a young boy from the dead. And even more than that, we read that later on, after Elisha had died, that when he was buried and he had become bones, someone tried to reuse his tomb, and when they went to bury the person there, when their body touched the bones, that person came back to life even. So there's something very special about Elisha as well. So God did amazing things through him. So now let's look back, before all that, to how we get first introduced to Elisha, before we see all that amazing stuff that he's going to do. It, uh, it's, we have this epic miracle fest of his ministry kind of getting started. Let's look at how we first introduce him. It's 1 Kings 19.19. First Kings nineteen nineteen. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the twelfth pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? I think that was like him saying, I'm, I'm not making you come with me. You can go back. Verse 21, So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plying equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. 
Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. So a couple of things I think we should notice there. Number one, Elisha was not from a poor family. They had 12 yoke of oxen, so 24 oxen all, all plowing together. That's, that's a sizable field they must have had. They're all plowing at the same time. The other thing is, Elisha immediately ran after Elijah. He said he wanted to go back and say goodbye, but he was immediately ready to go. That's pretty amazing. And uh, I don't know, it's, it's, how would you explain that to your parents? He goes back to say goodbye. I can just imagine that conversation. Some, some dude just came up to me in the field, and I'm going to go leave with him now. Probably not. <laughs> I'm sure they would have known who Elijah was. He was a well-known prophet in the land. But actually, I think, would have made it even more scary for his parents when Elisha went to tell them that. The king and the queen were hunting down and killing prophets of God in that land. And they specifically wanted to kill Elijah. They had tried before. And now Elisha is immediately ready to go with him. Doesn't even know where they're going, what they're doing. But he's immediately ready to go. And Elisha is stepping into all this. And I tried to think of what we could compare that to nowadays. So right now, you may or may not have heard, in China, there is a, a crackdown on Christianity that's slowly progressing. So to give you some background on that, for many years, Christianity could not freely work in China. Missionaries couldn't openly go to China. But then suddenly it did open up. Missionaries went in. It was, it was an amazing time. And for some reason now, the government's reversing their opinion on Christianity there. And so what's happened is, uh, at first, Christian churches started getting just torn down with very little notice or explanation as to why the government just started literally tearing church buildings down. And now what started happening is, uh, just recent news a few weeks ago, I believe it was 200-some-odd Christians were incarcerated for no, no legal reason given, no explanation given. One of the reasons suggested as to how, why some of this is happening is that some of the churches refused when the government asked them to put surveillance cameras into the church buildings themselves. But when I think of a situation like that, imagine that somebody came up to you and said, I think that God's calling you to be a missionary in China. Let's go. Maybe like, eh, are you sure? Maybe we should take some time and pray about that. So look at this, this story that we see about Elijah. He's immediately ready to go. Or even more accurate example might be, what if somebody came up to you and said, I believe God wants you to be a missionary in a, country, in a Muslim country in the Middle East? Because there's some countries there where you know your life is immediately on the line if you're going doing Christian work there. And that's what Elijah is stepping into. There's an instant yes. With all the potential dangers, all the sacrifice, all that he had to lose, all Elisha needed to know was that God wanted him to serve and he was ready. And there's a term for that, and that's going all in. It's a term I first learned from poker, not that I ever played because I'm a good Christian. (laughs) 
But going all in in poker is when you, you put in every chip you have and you're, going, you're risking losing everything. But it's because you could win so much more. And Elisha was leaving everything behind because he was looking for so much more in God. Verse 21 says, So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became a servant. So before he left, he kills the oxen. He burns his plowing equipment because suddenly they were running out of food to cook or suddenly they didn't have wood to cook it with. Probably not, right? I think what's happening there is, what we're seeing is, Elisha is showing he's not leaving himself anything to come back to. He's not just going to go with Elijah for a little while and then pop back home. He's showing, what I have here is done, and I'm not coming back to it. This commitment that he shows is astounding. God wants us to be willing to commit to him. He doesn't want us to just be like, oh, okay, God, I'll give you this little bit here or there. He wants everything. I think it's something we see with the great people of God throughout the Bible. We see with Abraham. He's willing to go when God tells him to go. He doesn't even know where he's going, but he's willing to go because God told him to. We see it with Isaiah. God says, whom shall I send? Whom will go for us? He said, here am I, send me. We see it with the disciples. Some of them, fish, they were fishermen. Jesus tells them to come. They leave their boats. Off they go. I think it's that commitment that God really wants from us. I think we can also see in the scriptures a contrast to that, an opposite of that. Let me read to you. You can turn there if you'd like as well. Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, verses 17 to 23. This is a story a number of you will be familiar with, I'm sure. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. That's a heartbreaking story to me. This is a man who had a, a literally in-person personal invitation from Jesus to come and follow him. And he couldn't do it. He couldn't bring himself to do it. I think he's, he's a perfect contrast to Elisha. Both of them were called to serve God. 
But the rich man who claimed he wanted to follow God, when it came right down to it, he wasn't willing to go far enough. And it's not like Jesus wanted him to fail either. We see there, Jesus looked at him and loved him. But Jesus also wasn't willing to accept just part of him. He had to give everything. And Jesus knew there was one thing he was just not willing to give up. And my fear is that all too often, that's what we're like. We have something that we want to hold back. And I worry that we think about ourselves, I'm doing enough, instead of asking ourselves, what more can I give? Because the difference between Elisha and that rich young ruler was just one thing. That, I mean, he was wealthy, so for him, for many of us, it would be a really big thing, but it was just one thing that he wasn't willing to give up. And that made the difference between a great man of God and someone who turned down following Jesus himself. And I think we need to ask ourselves, what's my one thing? Or maybe more than one thing. What are the things that we're not willing to give up to serve God? Because we have to go all in. Because if we don't, then what are we even doing? Like if we, if we come to church on Sundays, but we're not serving God in the rest of the week then what are we doing? Or if we come on Sundays and we give just a little sprinkling of the extra of what we have in the offering, but we aren't sacrificing, we aren't really sacrificing, if we aren't sacrificing throughout the rest of the week in other ways, then what are we doing? Or if we claim that we believe God exists, that he created us, that he sent his son to die for us, and then raised him from the dead, but we don't go and tell people about that, about the one thing that can save them, then what are we doing? Because I don't think that's the Christianity that we see in the Scriptures. And if he's really our Savior, then I think all of us know that's not what he deserves. He deserves everything. And I'm talking to myself as well because there are always things that it's so hard to not give. I think sometimes we need to have a bigger vision of how we can serve God. Like I said, it's, it's become a very easy Christianity in North America. And in, in some ways, that's a great blessing that we can worship freely and we can, we can study freely. We can gather freely. But it's, it's also a burden that we may not realize because then we treat it too easy. Maybe there are more people in our congregations that we should be sending as missionaries. Maybe, maybe there are people here that should be quitting their jobs, selling their houses, moving somewhere else where they can serve God more. Or maybe right where you're at, there's a bigger way that you could serve God where you're working or in your school. In our, our little church that we've started so far, that's something I've been trying to emphasize right from the beginning serving God more, putting more of your time to serving God. Uh, one thing that i am been really excited about is seeing some people move on that. We had uh, somebody, we had a church potluck going on. One of our people walked outside, came back in a minute later with a complete stranger he'd met outside, uh, 
a young mom with her baby in the crib. He'd walked outside, met a stranger, and been like, hey, our church is having lunch. You want to come in? That takes some guts. And she came. And she wants to come out to another service. We have somebody else. They were, they were going to buy some furniture online, go to pick it up. They met this random person they'd never met before and invited them out to church. And he's been coming every Sunday since. In what ways can you reach out and serve God more? I think we also need to remember we shouldn't stop and and think that we're not good enough. Because when we look at men in the Bible, we look at the great people of God in the Bible, so many of them have so many flaws. I don't think it's because Elisha himself was oh so special. God chose him because, Elijah, you're the special one. You're going to be my prophet. I think Elijah was just a person, a regular man, who's willing to give up everything to serve God. And when we're willing to give up everything, God can do amazing, amazing things. So when we're doing things like like making New Year's resolutions, and it's good to add in common sense ones like eating better or exercising more, my, if it wasn't for my wife, I would never eat vegetables. <laughs> Might have scurvy by this point. <laughs> but along with those more mundane ones, let's remember at New Year's and constantly that we need to be recommitting ourselves to God and asking ourselves, how can I give more? Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That sounds a lot like going all into me. So ask yourself, What am I holding back? What more can I give? Think about what you're holding back and think, maybe I need to burn the plow. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you've given us so much. You gave us this life. You gave us this world. You've given us salvation. You gave us your very son. And we know that there is no way we can pay it back. And Lord, thank you that we don't have to. You've given us grace too. But Lord, we want to serve you more. Please help us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.